Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Fantastic. We're on. Great. Um, yes, I'm Steve. And in answer to the question, how long have we been around? About 30 years as far as Birmingham Vineyard is concerned. So a fair while. And because of that, I brought a whole load of props from my life. And so as we go through the talk, I will be digging things out as illustrations. And uh, that is so that uh, as we recall and look through the book of James, we're going from the first chapter, we'll also be pulling a few things up to help us uh, and remind us of the key points that we cover. It's a privilege to be starting off this new book. Um, If you're going on holiday or away and missing Sundays, it's always possible to catch up online. It's a great way of knowing what's going on because people are out and about through August. And uh, have a listen and so you know what's going on. But today, we're starting off with the book of James. And I've got the first 18 verses to be uh, covering. And it's quite handy in terms of the context for that because the first 18 verses is kind of like an executive summary of the rest of James. And so what we'll be getting this morning, hopefully, is both an introduction to the book of James and then the executive summary. What have we got coming up in the next few weeks as well? So... Whenever you come into a new book of the Bible, there are some questions that it's really healthy to ask yourself. The first one, what sort of book is it? Maybe the second one, who wrote it? And then who were they writing to? When did they write it and why? So it's always helpful to get a context because then you can put yourself into that context and maybe help to understand what the writer is saying in this context. So the first thing to start off with is it is a letter. And this brings me to my first illustrative point. If you don't remember or have never seen letters because you're so young, these are letters, okay? They're what people used to do. They used a pen and paper. And actually, in fact, these are airmail letters. And this takes me to my first story. So more than 30 years ago, when I was at university, in my final year, me and Jackie started dating. We dated for about six months. And she was going to go off to Zimbabwe to teach in Zimbabwe. And I was going off to California to uh, work in, in homeless services there. And so we kind of dated, but we both knew we were splitting up at the end of it. And so we said, okay, relationship's over, goodbye, end of. But actually, we found that it was quite nice to have somebody to write to. And so these are the letters that Jackie wrote to me in the next two and a bit years. And the slightly smaller pile, I know, is the letters that I wrote to Jackie. And so these are letters crisscrossed across the Atlantic between Zimbabwe and California for those couple of years. And then after that, we, uh, I went travelling, just happened to bump into her in Zimbabwe. Uh, we got back together, we came back to the UK, we got married and all that sort of stuff. And, and it became part of Birmingham Vineyard all those years ago. So... It is a letter, the book of James. Um, but what sort of uh, content do we have when we look at it? Because there are all sorts of different uh, contents. You've got things like Psalms. You've got books um, which tell you a narrative in terms of a history. You've got poetry. You've got all sorts of different types. But in terms of the book of James, I'm going to suggest that actually, it's largely, it's a book of wisdom. It's a letter, but it's wisdom. And if we think about wisdom in the uh, Bible, we often think about the book of Proverbs. And one of the things about Proverbs is it's rather than one long narrative, it's actually thoughts, it's particular pieces of wisdom that are there 
for the reader. And James, uh, the book of James, is, is similar to that. It doesn't necessarily always flow easily. And actually, as we go through it this morning, we're going to take a chunk of the time because James is putting down different thoughts as he goes. So... I asked the second question, well, who wrote it? And the obvious question and the obvious answer to that is, well, James, obviously. Come on, Steve. Well, actually, it's slightly more complicated than that because there is more than one James in the Bible. There are either three, four, maybe even more than that. And so we've got James, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the disciples. We've got James, son of Alphaeus, who was probably the same as James the Younger or Little James, poor guy, Little James. And then finally, James, son of Joseph and Mary. That is James, uh, is James who is Jesus' half-brother. It's often a thing we don't think about. Jesus had brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, uh, with uh, Joseph and Mary. And here, uh, in terms of the early church, and pretty much most of the last 2,000 years, it has been identified that the James who writes this is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I have... After Jackie and I got married, we had children. We had five of them, and it just happens that four of them are boys. So four uh, brothers. And I speculate that if one of those was the Messiah, and I know theologically I'm pushing things here, um, the last people on earth to recognise that their brother was the Messiah would be the other three boys. Brothers are there to give each other a hard time, to keep people real, to keep them in check. And the last thing they're likely to do is recognise each other as the Messiah. That is also the case as we think about Jesus. We uh, read in John 7 that Jesus' brothers were egging him on. Basically, as he went into his ministry, leave Galilee, go into Judea and perform miracles there. It even reads, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Those folk who had grown up for 30 years with him or however long they had lived with him did not believe in him. And through the rest of Jesus' life, there is a little sign Uh, that his brothers were following him, other than wishing that he would stop embarrassing them. That changes. James' brother Jesus is murdered on a cross by the hated Romans. Imagine how that would feel if that's your brother. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul writes about the time after Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the 12 disciples and then to more than 500 people. Then he appeared to James then all the apostles, and last of all, to Paul. We can count James, son of Zebedee, out, and we can count James, son of Alphaeus, out as apostles. So so here, we have specific mention of Jesus appearing probably to his brother, James. Is that when it all changed for James? When he went from being scornful and embarrassed, angry, hurt by his big brother, to recognising his brother as the Lord Jesus Christ? Acts 1.14 says that after Jesus has been taken up to heaven, we read, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of James, and all of his brothers. By Acts 15, James is a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem, so important that Paul and Barnabas are there asking for James's judgment on how they should approach spreading the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, the people who weren't Jews. So isn't it fascinating that James doesn't start his letter, James, a servant of God and half-brother of Jesus. Yes, we used to hang out as kids. I knew him so well. He doesn't do that. It's just James. So when writing his letter and introducing himself, it's likely that his readers knew who he was. He didn't need to name drop. It wasn't required. That brings us on to the next question. 
Who is it written to? And it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to Jews. That is the reference to the 12 tribes, those who are now Christ followers, followers of the way who are scattered among the nations. Jews were already scattered. It wasn't like they'd just suddenly uh, departed Jerusalem. But we also know that after the stoning of Stephen for being a Christian in Jerusalem, we read that the Jewish Christians fled Jerusalem and were scattered among the nations. So James is probably writing to people who knew him, and he knows them. James is living through difficult times in Jerusalem, and those he's writing to have fled their homes to save their lives. James stayed in Jerusalem, became the first bishop of Jerusalem, we read, and history tells us that he was stoned to death in AD 62, which puts this book potentially as the first of the New Testament books. Some of that is conjecture, but it's important to try and think about the context of what we're reading here. So our first illustration, the letters between Steve and Jackie, as he destroys his next illustration, is for us to remember that it's a letter, that it's a wisdom and that context is important. It's those circumstances, the scattering, the fleeing into persecution. Uh, what would we want to be hearing from the church leader? You're out there, you've, you've fled Jerusalem, you've heard of the death, you've heard of what happened to Stephen. You're going to hear, get a letter from James, the brother of Christ. You'd be hoping for something uplifting, encouraging, uh, a blessing. You open the letter from James and you read... Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If you've got that, you're, you're fleeing for your life, you're feeling under pressure, persecuted, your leader has written to you and he's saying, isn't it great? persecution, it's a good, joyous thing. Well, it, it sounds like a masochistic cult almost. Enjoy, revel in the suffering. But no, we have to understand the full context. It's not the trials themselves that bring the joy. It's the knowledge that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. There are all sorts of examples we can point to of heroes of the faith who persevered through trials. They've had their te faith tested, while the fruit of that has been a maturing, a completeness, not lacking in anything. That testing of faith may be a literal challenge on what do I believe, or it may be a testing of faith Lord, I'm not seeing your promises taking place in my life or those around me. The Bible often uses a picture of a refiner's fire. Malachi 3.3 says this, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men and women who will bring offerings of righteousness. If we persevere in difficult times, we are purified and come out mature, complete, not lacking in anything. I was thinking about what example to use here. And the example I'm going to give is very close to home. Often and usually, there'll be a couple sat in this congregation called Oliver and Margaret Nyumbu. Often they'll be sat just over there at the back. And they are wonderful people. And I've got their permission to use this example. They just happen to be away today. But uh, 
Oliver and Margaret have an incredible backstory and do talk to them about their backstory. But a little bit of their life, probably the last 10 or more years, uh, relates to a vision that they've had, which is that the country of Zambia, a poverty-stricken country in many ways, that needs development, but it needs development that helps the people of Zambia, and from their point of view, particularly the children of Zambia. And they said, what can we do here in Birmingham? Well, they thought, okay, well, we could start a mining business, as you do, and we could gather friends to help uh, get it started, and we could find, form partnerships there, and we can commit to do it with integrity, and we could commit to do it, but what we mine, actually the value there isn't just shipped abroad and lost, but actually is an investment in the people and the children of Zambia. What a fantastic vision from the Lord for them to work out and live out. And if you'd have talked to them 10 years ago, they'd have said, yes, and it, yeah, we can see it, and we can see the timeline, it's all, and this is the timeline, and it'll, and it'll all be great, and we believe that's what God's going to be doing. 10 years or more later on, they have had everything happen. Their business has been stolen from by fellow uh, uh, directors in that sort of sense. They have uh, seen uh, tricks by people who are landowners. They face corruption uh, in all sorts of different spaces. They've seen mines get flooded. They've seen roads get flooded out so they can't ship the stuff out. And then as I spoke to Oliver last week and said, can I use this as an illustration? He said, yeah. And Steve, here's the picture of the big generator that was going to power the mine, which the bailiffs have just taken away from us. Now, they got it back. But if ever you want to hear a story of trials, talk to Oliver and Margaret. Um, but that leads us on to the next bit of it, perseverance. If you ever want to hear about a story of perseverance, then talk to Oliver and Margaret as well. And what you'll always hear from them is, OK, so what do we learn from this setback? Okay, the, we got stolen from. How do we pick ourselves up and, and, and understand what God is teaching us from this? And then also, what is the wisdom that we gain from this setback? What's God teaching us through this trial? As I spoke to Oliver, as he does, he said, Steve, of course, Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees, laws, commands and ways. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees, your laws, your commands, your ways. And so when I think about perseverance and I think about uh, those challenges that come with it and the desire to learn from those things and gain wisdom, I think of Oliver and Margaret. And so to illustrate that, I have what we call a Zambia. So as I said, Jackie lived in Zimbabwe for a while and many people would wear these wrapped around them. And uh, in Zimbabwe, they were called Zambias. So that is my illustration of Zambia. So when you see that, you think of Oliver and Margaret and the perseverance in trials that gains wisdom. Zambia. Right. So, where are we up to? We've got the letters that remind us that James is writing to us and he's writing a book of wisdom. And then we've got the Zambia, which says perseverance and perseverance brings wisdom. We continue. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Here James is sounding like a bit like the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1-2 says, For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. James is saying there are two ways of living. The wise, mature, complete, faithful, persevering, not lacking in anything. Or secondly, the double-minded, unstable in all they do, doubting, not receiving anything. Option one reminds me a little bit of Jesus in Matthew 7, 24 saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock, solid, safe, sustainable, focused. Alternatively, it's to be like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Here, I come on to my slightly large illustration, fortunately quite light, which is my surfboard. Now, it is my surfboard, and when I bought it, I thought, yes! I will be gracefully splashing around the waves, doing 360s, wonderful stuff. But no, unfortunately, I find that actually I am more like a, let's see, uh, blown around, tossed by the wind wave. Okay, so this is Steve's illustration of being blown around, tossed by the wind and waves. I've looked up what the difference between wisdom and knowledge is. The best I could find is this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Clearly one of my life's most important lessons. Wisdom is the application of knowledge of God. And God gives us wisdom as well. What do I mean? We are promised that God will give us wisdom. But that, I suggest, comes in a context I ask God for wisdom when I'm in a situation that's challenging or stretching me. I ask God for wisdom when I'm thinking, reading, praying. I ask God for wisdom which is when I'm interacting. Back to that quote from Jesus. Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, there is hearing and doing. So, don't be like Steve on a surfboard, blown and tossed by the winds, double-minded and unstable. Instead, Ask for and expect to see wisdom. What you're asking for, what are you asking for God for at the moment in terms of wisdom? So we've got the letters which are from James and they tell us uh, that the book of James is much like a book of wisdom. We're told to persevere just like Oliver and Margaret do uh, and the work in Zambia. And we're told to be not like a wave or like Steve, tossed around on a surfboard on the waves, but instead we are to be uh, like uh, the house built upon the rock. We're supposed to be solid, safe and sustainable as we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What comes next? The brother, in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in their low position, because he will pass away like wildflowers, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. At first reading, this is confusing. So the brother in humble circumstances, so poor, should have pride in their high position, and the rich ones should be proud of their low position. What does James mean by this? The Bible scholar Tom Wright suggests we need to hear echoes of the Old Testament. 
something James's readers would have been familiar with. Isaiah 40, 7-8 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. So to the financially poor, your humble circumstances shouldn't define you. Take pride in your high position, that of a child of God, that as a Christian. And perhaps even rejoice in the fact that you don't have the temptations and the struggles that wealth brings. Easy to say in a hard world that is defined so much by wealth. Then to the financially rich person, take pride in your low position. That's even harder to understand. But think of it like this. Know that your wealth won't last. Like the grass, it will wither and fade. You also know that the wealth can be a barrier to discipleship. Think of the rich young man who wanted to be right before God. And Jesus challenged him and said, well, give up all your wealth and follow me. The rich young man walked away ashamed. So, rich person, don't rejoice in your wealth. Don't trust in your wealth. Instead, know where you stand, entirely dependent upon God's good mercy. Be humble. And James could have chosen other illustrations. It didn't have to be rich and poor. He could have said to them, don't be defined by your status, single or married, children or childless, healthy or sick. All of those will fade away. Instead, the word of God will stand forever. Now, next illustration. My son, uh, Levi, got married uh, in April, just gone. And it was a wonderful day, and we had wonderful flowers and all those sort of things. And as a memento, I kept my buttonhole. Now, I promise you that my, it's quite small, I know, but my buttonhole looked a lot nicer back in April than it does today. In actual fact, it has got two twigs left and about two leaves, and it's very brittle. And so... It has faded away. On the day, it was a wonderful event, and the flowers looked beautiful and everything else like that. If I put all my trust in fantastic day, everything is wonderful, and just I'm just going to it's falling apart as we go. I'm just going to stay in that space. Where would it get me? It would get me to that a rather sorry-looking twig. Instead. We can't put our faith in things that fade away. We can't put our faith in even that wedding day. Levi and Els who got married can't just say, oh, we had a wonderful wedding, our marriage is going to be fantastic. No, every day they have to work at that. And in just the same way, we can't put our faith in things that fade away. We have to put our things in things that last, the word of God. So we have the letters of wisdom. We have the Zambia and the call to persevere. We have the circle of not being tossed around by the waves. And we have the wedding buttonhole of reminding us to stick to the word of God that doesn't fade rather than the flowers and the blossoms that fade and die. We continue. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial. Because when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive a crown of life that God promised to those who love him. James has circled back to his opening theme of persevering in trials, reminding his readers, because as a result of perseverance, you're blessed. And not only in this life, but also you receive the crown of promised life. The Greek word here, translated as crown, was the usual term for the wreath placed upon the head of a victorious athlete or military leader. James is reiterating that the things of this world fade away, but in Christ there is an everlasting life. In fact, the crown of life. 
It's only mentioned twice in the Bible. And the other time is in the book of Revelation, as John reflects that those who are being persecuted in the church will, receive, will endure and receive the crown of life. So again, there's perseverance, there's enduring, and then there's a lasting reward, a crown of life, which we see at the end of the Bible in Revelation, as well as here in the book of James. Before we finish this section of James's letter, we'll have heard him speak of life, of death, and of birth, the whole of human experience. James continues, When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we're on to temptation. It feels like we've made a leap from persevering in trials and receiving a reward to being tempted, sinning and dying. But actually, the leap isn't that great. The same Greek word uh, applies to facing trials as being tempted, parasimos. It's now we respond, it's how we respond that matters. I'm going to use another illustration, a slightly more prosaic one my iPad. Okay. I was thinking about, well, temptation. So we've talked about trials. We've talked about Oliver and Margaret and the trials and the challenge that they faced there. Temptation is somewhat different. And as we find, it's something that is within us. And so for me, one of the things that would be a challenge as a Christian man is all the sexually explicit stuff that is out there in the world. And one of the easiest ways, if you ever want to find it, is to go click, isn't it? And it's there. And it's all around us. It's in movies, it's on the web, it's on billboards, it's everywhere. It's what we watch. And the question is, how are we accountable? And how do we lead ourselves into maturity in that world and in that space and completeness rather than spiritual death? We're surrounded by that content. It's tempting. It drags us away. It fills our minds. It can take root and impact our relationships. It grows into sin and it can lead to spiritual death. Trials and temptations are two sides to the same coin in some ways, but pretending, but depending on how we respond, very different outcomes. So James carries on. It makes sense to conclude that it's God doing the tempting, helping us to grow and sort evil from good. James says, no, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is perfect goodness, unmixed holiness, nothing in his nature that contains slyness, ulterior motives. When he allows trials to come our way, he's cheering us on that we persevere so that we grow and mature and inherit the blessings. When we fail and fall into sin, we rebel against God's best for us. That's when we give in to our own evil desires. It's a stark reminder of our sinful nature, our own evil desires. Not someone else dragging us away and enticing us. It's powerful, gripping language. Then the desire gives birth to sin, sin coming from within us. Sin grows and leads to death, death being a cutting off from life and the giver of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. No promise that we won't be tempted, but an instruction from Jesus to have as a priority prayer that asks for strength not to be led into temptation. 
Trials will come, that's the environment we live in, while temptation rises from our own evil desires. We have a choice to make between life and death. So, illustrated by the iPad. So, where have we got to? We have the letters of wisdom. We have the perseverance of uh, Zambia. We have the not being tossed around by the waves, uh, instead being founded in the Word of God. We have uh, the trusting in the Word of God that doesn't fade like the flowers. And we have the not being uh, tempted, but resisting and maturing uh, out of that. James continues on to the final verses. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all that he created. The contrast is clear. We're orientated towards sin. We have our own evil desires within us. We stumble and fall. James wants us to have our eyes open, not to be deceived, not to be led into temptation. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from our Father of heavenly lights. This is a reflection of Psalm 16 verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you I have nothing good. God is good, God is goodness. God is described as the Father of heavenly lights. He does not change like shifting shadows. What are the heavenly lights? It's it's the sun, it's the moon, it's the stars. Living in Birmingham, we can forget there's any stars out there, can't we? But James is here writing, before there was electric street lighting and all the light pollution that we have, and he's in an agrarian society, so perhaps he's much more conscious of those heavenly lights, both day and night. And society is much more uh, dependent upon the sun for their crops and the rain for their uh, crops as well. We can forget that. But here he's illustrating that God is the constant there, like the heavenly lights. Not only that, but God chose to give us birth. That is the new birth, being born again through the word of truth, and that is Jesus. So that we, miserable sinners, might be the first fruits, the first, the best, the set apart for God. That description of first fruits, of all he has created, is an echo again of the Old Testament. There God told his people to bring the first fruits of the harvest as an offering to him. That was a sign of having their priorities right and a promise that there is much more to come. Here we're told that that is like us as Christians. We are the first fruits giving birth through Jesus, giving birth through Jesus and a promise of the future. There's a quote here from uh, Bishop Tom Wright and it says this, One day, God's word will transform the whole creation, filling heaven and earth with his rich, wonderful light and life. Our lives transformed by the gospel, learning to look at the world differently, standing firm against temptation. They're just the start of that larger project. Is it up there? Yeah, it is. Let's all read that together. Get some interaction. One day... God's word will transform the whole creation, filling heaven and earth with his rich, wonderful lights and life. Our lives transformed by the gospel, learning to look at the world differently, standing firm against temptation at just the start of that larger project. Sorry, I can't read. You did better. 
we come on to our final illustration in a second. Tom Wright challenges us to look at the world differently. So my last illustration is just over there. It's a globe. It's the whole world. I know it's not quite to scale, but there we go. It's the globe. It's the representation of Earth. The heavenly lights are shining down on it, representing the goodness of God. And we can feel minuscule in that. But we are the, the first bananas. No, we are the first fruits. I haven't got any other... Let me put the bananas there as an illustration. Okay, 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 perfect. There we go. We are the first fruits. Each time we act with wisdom, we're the first fruits. A sign that, uh, of all that he has created. Each time we persevere through trials and learn to grow through those trials, we are the first fruits of all that he created. Each time we flee or resist temptation, we are the first fruits, a sign of all that he created. Each time we recognise the source of good, we are the first fruits, a sign of all that he created. So God's heavenly lights are shining on us. We are the first fruits, a sign of what is to come. And each time we behave in the way, according to the word of God, in how James describes it, we are part of that first fruits of all that is to come. So today, this week, James wants us to think and behave like each one of us is something special. A sign, the first fruits, an example of Jesus in the world with the promise that the source of all good, Jesus will return and make all things Right. So, how are we doing? Should we do a memory test? Looking worried. Okay. So the letters. Who wrote the book? Yay! And what did I describe the book? What type of book? Wisdom. Fantastic. So it's a book of wisdom. Fantastic. And the key illustration that came out of my illustration from Zambia was perseverance. We persevere while trials come and that leads us into maturity. And we're not to be something around like Steve on a surfboard. Tossed around like Steve on a surfboard. We're supposed to trust in the Word of God. And then what will happen to this or what really has? It fades away. Whereas we have to put our trust in something that sustains the Word of God. We have to resist the temptations that are out there and are part of who we are and the evil that is within us. We have to resist those and flee from them. We have to pray for strength to do so. And then we have to remember that the Father of heavenly lights is shining on us because we are the first fruits, the first bananas, that's right. We are the first fruits of all that God has promised and all that is to come in the kingdom of God. So when you go back home and somebody says, so what was the talk about? Well, it was about surfboards and bananas and I'm sure it was about something and I'm sure it meant something. And the test is whether you'll remember. So let's pray and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we'll worship and then there'll be a time of ministry. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Father of lights, that you uh, shine your goodness through Jesus Christ, the Word of God, on us. We pray that we would be like, act and behave, like uh, those first fruits, all that you've promised for creation. 
And we bless you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.